I want to start this morning by asking a question. When it comes to being a Christian, when, it's, when, it, when we look at and think about what it means to follow Jesus, what would you say is the one thing, the one thing that matters most? What's the one thing? Have a think about that for a minute. If you could only choose one thing that matters most about following Jesus, what would it be? It's a difficult question to wrestle with because there are so many important aspects to our faith. So many things that matter a lot, a great deal to our belief in who God is, in who Jesus is, and what he has done for us. Perhaps it's not really a fair question because depending on the context that we we bring to that question, we might lean slightly more on, on different aspects of our faith. For example, we might say that that God is the most important thing. We might say that the Bible, the Word of God, is what matters most. Jesus. Of course, Jesus has to be the most important thing. I'm not going to dispute any of these. I guess the issue that I'm trying to draw out with this question is how our priorities, our own personal priorities give different perspective and how they they can be revealed where where our priorities might be revealed in in the way we answer this question if we were to say that the most fundamental important thing about our faith that separates our faith from every other religion from every other uh, world view If we were to say that the most important thing was that we are saved, that we have been forgiven and redeemed. That sounds pretty good, right? But we're left with a problem. If that is the extent of our answer, we we have a problem. The problem is that our priorities might overlay with that. And, and what we haven't really answered is what exactly are we saved from? What are we forgiven for? What are we redeemed to? What are we saved from? What are we forgiven for and what are we redeemed to? To what end does God grant us his great? What is the purpose of our redemption Without answering these questions, we are left with no motivation and no movement away from our sinfulness and towards God's righteousness and holiness. Without considering God's heart in salvation and redemption, without considering where we are coming from, it could be conceived that we have this free ticket to live how we want 
and a free pass into heaven. And that's really problematic. It's problematic because the image or definition that we then have of heaven is, is, is that heaven becomes this destination. It, it becomes a location instead of a relationship. This week, uh, Lanella and I celebrated our 21st wedding anniversary. 21 this week. Can you imagine, as an engaged couple, everything, your, your whole life, is consumed with this march towards that one special day, the wedding. But what if we viewed marriage as the wedding ceremony, the wedding day, the, the reception afterwards? If we defined a marriage by that, aren't we missing out? Can you imagine how empty and, and pointless a marriage would be if, if all it was about was that one day, that one moment, that one ceremony, that one meal. Yet how often do we, do we place this expectation on eternity? Do we place this expectation upon our salvation and our redemption? We forget the fact that we've been pulled out of our helpless broken state to live life abundantly as, as Jesus says in John 10 10 to have life in its fullness God's way but in order to have life in its abundance in its fullness God's way we have to leave our way behind so often as Christians, we fall into this trap of thinking that the most important aspect of following Jesus is us. After all, when, we, when God created man, we were the pinnacle of all creation. After all, God himself hung on a cross for us. We've got to be important, right? And, and so we fall into this trap where, where gradually more and more we, we start thinking that what really matters most in Christianity is me, what I need, what I want, what I see is wrong with the world and life around me, and that God needs to fix it my way, in my time frame. The problem that this creates is that when our, our problems persist, when our pain is not taken away. When we don't get the resolution that we want in, the in, in, in an instant, a seed of bitterness and anger takes root in our hearts towards God. When we believe that what matters most in God's kingdom is us, then we supplant, we, we replace God in his place as king with ourselves sounds kind of bold doesn't it kind of dramatic that we would dethrone God but in reality it's a very subtle process that takes place within our heart we might ask this question you may have asked it many times over the last few years where are you God where are you, 
God in all of this? Where are you? It can be a powerful question leading us to seek God in the midst of our circumstances. It can lead us to seek his heart and his way. Or it can be a very strong accusation to God. Where are you, God? Is an accusation that that implies that God has been derelict in his duties and care. That he has not taken action how we think he should have, when we, we think he should have. In order to fix the problems that we see, the way we think that they should be fixed. When we put it like that, it seems quite harsh, doesn't it? Maybe this morning as, as I, I reflect that question and, and we, we examine our hearts and say, you know, am I asking that as an authentic, gen- genuine question that I'm willing God to engage me with and challenge me with? Or, or am I making an accusation that God is failing to meet my standards? As we examine our hearts, it might make us a bit uncomfortable to feel like, who am I? that I should make such an accusation of God. And if that's you this morning, I just want to give you a little bit of encouragement that you're not alone. In fact, when Jesus began his ministry, he he chose 12 men to be his closest disciples, to walk with him, eat with him, live with him day in, day out and on one particular day they find themselves accusing Jesus of this same thing in Mark chapter 4 verse 35 we read this on that day when evening had come he said to them Jesus said to his disciples let us go across to the other side of the lake and leaving the crowd they took him with them in the boat just as he was and other boats were with him And a great windstorm arose. The waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace. Be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. And Jesus said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? In the midst of the storm, these experienced sailors and fishermen, feeling helpless and overwhelmed and in peril, cried out, Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? Don't you care that we are dying here? It was an accusation that Jesus' actions were not meeting their own expectations. In Jesus' response, he shows us that he is indeed able above and beyond our wildest imagination to take care of all of our problems. 
but also that our wisdom and our perspective are often overwhelmed by our situation. That when we feel that there is no way out, no way through, like everything is out of control, God is still in control. The alternative to an accusation of where are you, God, is to ensure that when we cry out, where are you, God, it is a genuine question with a desire for God to reveal himself to us and to our hearts. For God to meet us in our pain and our hardship and to transform us from our hearts out. Sometimes, often, it's not our situation that needs changing, but our hearts that need transformation. And God's desire is to use the fires of our life to refine our hearts. So instead of accusation, as we confront the challenges and pain and grief of life, let's wade into God's Word. And as we do, I think we'll find that we are immersed in His love. What is revealed that it is that our ways, our desires, our hearts are full of cracks and brokenness. That our instinctive responses are often selfish and destructive. The truth is, we are not saved to get our own way, but that we may seek and find the Lord's way. When Jesus began his ministry, this is how Mark summarizes his message to, message to the Jews, to Israel. This is not some future prophecy, but a, a very present reality in first century uh, Jerusalem. Galilee, Mark chapter 1. Verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus proclaims to all Israel the good news of God. The, this proclamation is, that, or is all that the prophets and the promises of God have pointed to. This is the culmination of all God has called Israel to be as a nation of priests, holy and set apart. The kingdom, the reign of God is at hand. Jesus is saying God's kingdom has drawn near. It is present with you now. What a pro proclamation. Bold and powerful. But Jesus' message wasn't one that declared Israel to Israel that the kingdom of heaven is here in your righteousness. It wasn't present in Israel's faithfulness, nor was it in their own righteousness. Jesus' message contained an important invitation. Repent and believe this good news, the good news that Jesus is here, the Messiah has come, the Savior, the Redeemer you have been waiting for, the forgiveness of sins. Repent, turn towards God. The redemption of the people of Israel did not rest in a birthright or an inheritance. 
They were promised a wonderful blessing to be the first witnesses of the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham to bring redemption to all nations. They were chosen to be God's representatives of his covenant, which bears witness and testifies to the world that Yahweh stands alone in all creation as creator, as holy, as the only true and mighty God, a God who is righteous, a God of justice and mercy. Yet there is still this call to respond, this call to repent, because who we are, what we have to offer is insufficient to meet God's holy standard. It's insufficient to honor, for, honor God and to, to glorify Him. We haven't earned His grace. We don't deserve His forgiveness. God in salvation is not rewarding our ways or our thoughts or our desires. He is calling us out from them because they are cracked and broken out of our sinfulness out of our broken ways and calling us to have a humble heart a heart not driven to accuse God where are you but to seek God where are you God show me your ways we see a great example of this given by Jesus in, in the parable of, of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke chapter 18. We read, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Come to Jesus, not to remain in your bondage to sin, but to be freed from it. To see and know life abundantly, life God's way. We are not saved so that life works out the way that we want it to. We are saved and redeemed and called to a relationship with God that we may seek and find his heart, that we may seek and find his ways. When it comes to following Jesus, more than the things we say and the way we can present our lives, our heart attitude, our heart posture matters most. Like we saw with the Pharisee and the tax collector, the Pharisee had an outward appearance of someone who lived to honor God, yet inwardly the posture of his heart was revealed to care more about himself than seeking his heart to be transformed to be more like that of God's. The posture of our heart forms the foundation and strength of our lives. When we look at a tree sliced open, as you can see up there, in the middle of the tree is the oldest wood. It's called heartwood. The heartwood is the oldest part. 
Over time, as the tree grows, the wood on the inside is changed by the transfer of resins and other chemicals within the plant. And its purpose changes. Whereas when it was sapwood on the outer edges of the tree underneath the bark, it stored energy for the tree. It also was how the tree moves moisture and water from the ground up and throughout its branches right to its extremities. Yet now as heartwood, it provides the strength and structure for the tree. The condition of the heartwood is essential to the well-being and vitality of the tree. In the same way, the condition of our hearts determines how adaptable, malleable, and transformable our lives are for the work of the Holy Spirit. Heart matters because it impacts how we see and understand our situations. It matters because it affects how we approach God in our circumstances. I'm going to give you a few examples. When Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were confronted by, with being thrown into a burning, fiery furnace. This is how they responded. This was their instinctive reaction in that moment. We read in Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he would deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. You notice the conviction of their heart attitude. Even if. Even if things don't work out the way we desire, the way we want, even if our God does not rescue us from this fire, we will worship him because our hope is in him. Even if you don't get the answer for the crisis that you're facing, the pain that you're enduring, Will your hope still rest in God? Will he be your refuge and your comfort? Will he be your foundation? When Daniel was going to be thrown into the lion's den, into certain death, his heart attitude meant his, that, that his reaction was to trust and to pray. <clears throat> Daniel 6, 16 to 23. And the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring, with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, no diversions were brought to him, and sleep fed, fled from him. At the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. 
As he came near to the den when, where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The, de- the king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. The king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found found on him, because he had trusted in God you imagine being in Daniel's shoes? Knowing the inevitability of what is about to confront you and before you. Could you have imagined any way out of that situation? I couldn't. Daniel, Daniel's instinct wasn't to fall into that den accusing God. Where are you, God? But he trusted. Even though things may not go the way I want them to, may not work out the way I plan, I trust God that you have a plan and a purpose, that you are in control. When Job had the worst day imaginable, he worshipped and honoured God even though he had lost everything. His hope remained in God alone. I wonder, even if we lost everything, does God still hold that place in your heart? Do you still desire to know him? When Paul was shipwrecked, in in 2 Corinthians 11, we read that Paul was shipwrecked three times, that he was bitten, beaten and left for dead, that he was bitten by snakes. And yet, he never wavered in his conviction of the faithfulness and the goodness of God. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, was completely overwhelmed. full of stress and angst to the point that he was sweating blood. In that moment, he didn't cry out, accusing God, where are you, God? He prayed honestly, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, let yours be done even if it can't, even if I have to endure all that is about to befall me. Let your will be done. The posture of our heart matters. I want to play a song for you this morning. It's by Mercy Me and it's called Even If. The message of this song is, is that life is tough, it's hard. 
There are times that we feel like we're losing. There are times that we feel like God has gone missing in action, like He's silent. Yet we remember in those moments His faithfulness and His love and His goodness. It's God's character and nature that leads us to respond that even if things don't go our way, our hope will remain in Him. Even if things don't work out the way that we want, the way that we desire, we place above our desires God's ways, above our wisdom, His knowledge and understanding and His plans. Our greatest desire is to seek Him in the midst of our storm, in the midst of our fire. Thanks, Benny. Sometimes a gifted musician, an anointed musician, can put into words a prayer so beautifully. The posture of our heart matters. When we're going through a tough season, our desire is often for it to be over, to be finished. We have this tendency to want to focus on, on the moment of the delivery of a miracle. And we desire and expect God to change our, our situation and circumstance in the blink of an eye. We know He's able. We know in the midst of the storm, He can say to the wind and the waves, be still. And we desire that momentary transformation of our situation. But if we really examine God's words, we see that rarely does He simply snap His fingers. The delivery of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego from the burning fiery furnace wasn't the end of their troubles. When, when Daniel came out of the lion's den, it didn't mean that there was no more difficulty he faced, no more challenges he faced. When Job lost everything and worshipped, God didn't just simply snap his fingers and say, be restored, Job. That worst day of his life was the beginning of a very long season of hardship. There are moments of dramatic transformation, of miraculous answers to prayer. But more often we see, and even in these moments, we see that they are embedded in a much longer season. God has this tendency to work in the transformation of our hearts in a deep and long and enduring way. James puts it in, in James chapter 1. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. You know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and that steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James is saying, count it all joy when you endure long seasons of hardship and trial and challenge because God is at work in you, transforming a broken and sinful and selfish heart into one that will see 
and know God. In Matthew 5, 8, Jesus, this is in the middle of the blessings, the Beatitudes as you might know it. it. Jesus is painting this picture of what does it look like to live in the kingdom of God. And this is what he says in, in verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Through our trials, through our challenges, through our pain, know that God is at work faithfully, diligently, working to transform us. Know that it is okay to cry out with every fiber of your being, where are you, God? My encouragement is that as you do, be willing to let the Spirit transform your heart, to challenge you. So how does our heart react when things don't go to plan? What's our attitude towards God in these moments when we find ourselves in a prolonged storm? Moses, it lasted 40 years. 40 years of wandering in the desert before God pulled him out miraculously in that moment where he confronted the, the, the bush that was on fire that wasn't being consumed and sent him to liberate the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt and spend another 40 years in the desert. Sometimes we move from challenge and trial to challenge and trial, but our hope should not be in our present situation or circumstance. Our hope is in eternity. Our hope is in Christ in that we are not called to a destination or a location. We're not called to the reception but a marriage, eternity, devoted to embracing God's heart, living our best life for God's heart, being transformed and changed. Following Jesus means that our lives, our hearts must be radically changed. Following Jesus, finding life, as Jesus put it, abundantly means that even if things don't go to plan, even if they don't go my way, even if my problems, my pain and my grief endure, I trust that God has a plan, that God's love exceeds my problems in abundance, my choice, my response is to wait patiently upon the Lord, to trust implicitly in His love and His goodness and to seek firmly His ways and His heart with all my heart. In the midst of confusion, my prayer is not my will, Lord, not my ways, Lord, but Yours be done. My prayer is like David's, create in me, clean heart O God and renew a right spirit within me take me mold me shape me Lord purify my heart I don't know what you're wrestling with this week what battles you've been confronted with what is weighing you down 
the uncertainty that, that may lie ahead. The hurt and the frustration that you're feeling, maybe you're asking this morning, where are you, God? I want to encourage you to ask that, continue asking that. But soften your heart and let him move in it. Let's pray. Lord, life is tough. It's hard at times and, and it's hard to see the way through. It's hard to know at times how anything good can come out of what's going on around us and with us and how there can be anything good come of, of what we're having to endure. Lord, the challenge that we're facing today is to say that even if things don't go the way that I want them to, my hope will rest in you. Holy Spirit, we ask you for that grace and that strength today. Help us on our knees to come before you with soft hearts to be transformed. Lord, would you work in us? Would you reveal yourself in our situations? May our hope be in you, Lord. And may our joy be made complete. Amen.